I, I preach. That's something I do. Uh, you know this. Not always. I haven't always done this. Um, after we moved to Idaho, fairly soon after, uh, we joined with a small group that would later become Holy Trinity Church, in, now in Boise. And I started preaching there pretty regularly. I was a layperson. So uh, preaching about every other week, that was my lay ministry. And it was during that period, exercising lay ministry, that the Lord taught me an important lesson that I hope you benefit from today. I think so. An important lesson. One Sunday, I gave what I thought was a really strong message. I'd, I'd worked hard at it, preparing. It was filled with interesting paradoxes, turns of phrase. I, I thought it was clever, <laughs> you know, really, really smart. I was uncovering mysteries. Afterward, a lady commented on the depth, uh, and she suggested maybe I could make an outline that would help her follow. Uh, I was gratified, <laughs> foolishly. I was gratified by that. Um, yes, I thought, it was deep, wasn't it? <laughs> that was deep, and you need help to follow my deep thoughts. Um, but as I, I left, this heaviness settled on me. And we were meeting in Eagle at the time, so I had a, quite a drive. And that, as I drove, that heaviness increased. And eventually, I found myself asking the Lord, what is this about? What, what's the problem? And by the time I walked into my house, the rebuke came blessedly clear. Simple, clear, you just presented yourself. Don't do that anymore. Talk about me. There was no doubt. Um, that's, that's one of those times I was very clear. Um, that's the Lord. And I'm thankful that rebuke came early because uh, I might have wasted many years polishing up my rhetoric spending lots of time trying to speak in the tongues of men and of angels while lacking that one thing that's necessary. Love. Love for God. I might have wasted the attention and the energy of the congregation. It takes attention and energy to, to come to a message, right? And to walk with it and listen. I might have wasted your time for many years hearing, hearing nice ideas that turned your interests to me, uh, not to the one who can save and heal. It's a bit of a, just a note, in the future, if you find yourself in a congregation, maybe you move, or, or this congregation, and you are led by a man who continually presents his own knowledge and communication skills, but not love for God, you should leave. That's one of the reasons you should leave a congregation. Where there isn't love for God, there isn't life. And if love for God isn't coming from right here, you should leave, because there's no life then. This is the foundation from which we've been working over the last few weeks. 
God gives himself. And in giving himself, he gives love. Love that returns back to him. At Pentecost, when God poured out his spirit, he gave new life to all who would receive him. And with life, he introduced agape, self-giving, divine love. And this is love that is fixed on God. And as this love from God brings us more and more alive, transforming us from the soul outward, from the inside out, that's where it sits. His love sits and transforms we find ourselves also changing in relationship to one another. So we change in, in how we think about and how we feel towards God, but that also changes us towards one another. By the power of the love of God, the people of heaven begin to act in heavenly ways that we didn't before. The grace of God in our lives begins to reorganize, reorganize each one of us, but also reorganize us as a society of heaven, as a, an eternal society, with different norms, different assumptions than exist around us, different norms, different assumptions than what we held before. And so while the course of the world, and this is very true, now, it was true then, it's true now. The course of the world is towards more and more fragmentation, more and more isolation, more and more chaos, more and more conflict, more and more hatred. The course of God's people is towards unity with delightful uniqueness within. As Paul describes it, as the body, as the human body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, though they're many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether we were Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink of one spirit. That's the trajectory of the heavenly society. Not fragmentation, but towards unity and oneness and working together. That's, that's a marvelous thing. Clearly, the existence of church life at all, that we exist, that's a Pentecost reality. That comes from the Spirit. Because of the new covenant in the blood of Jesus, this new arrangement that God has with people, we're joined by the Holy Spirit, joined to Him, joined to one another, and we drink, we're sustained by drinking continually from the same spiritual fountain, and we're sustained by Christ's church. So, we need the Spirit to enter the kingdom. We need the Spirit to become part of this eternal society. And we need the Spirit to function in it. This society that will go on forever functions by the Spirit. 
It exists by it and functions by him. Now, we can assume, <clears throat> like I did, as I, as I explained at the beginning here, you could be like me in that. Having entered by the Spirit, we can now function in the kingdom and bless everyone by offering our gifts and abilities. All right? I'm in. Now I'm going to bless everybody. That's how I thought. That was the understanding of the Corinthian church. By the way, we're, we'll be looking in 1 Corinthians 12 into 13. Paul had founded that church, and he was writing to them, supporting them, and he found that that was their understanding. They had been remarkably gifted by the Holy Spirit entering the kingdom, especially with some of the more outward gifts that verify the gospel message as being from God. So these visible gifts that said, this is heavenly. The message that's coming is heavenly, and you can see it by these outward gifts. So, and, and a very apparently, they were eager to participate. Yes, we want to be, when we're together, we want to be exercising these gifts, and the more visible the gift, the more eagerness there was to use it. These aren't lazy, apathetic people. They are in this. And they weren't, also, they weren't pretending that these abilities were theirs naturally. They knew these came from God. It wasn't because of their cleverness. They weren't claiming God had rewarded them because they were richer, nobler, holier. And yet they had become divisive. They started fragmenting. Early in the letter, Paul says, even now, you're not able to receive solid food for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Where there's this sign of fragmentation, chaos, you're behaving like just anyone else. Are you not carnal, living according to flesh? So, this highly blessed, highly gifted Corinthian church was divided and they were factious because they were counting some people and their giftings as more holy, as more important and more honorable. They were treating uh, certain gifts as evidence this, that the Holy Spirit was more with someone than, than another or that they had God in a greater way. Because you can do this, that's a sign that you have more of God. They had valued certain gifts um, according to valuations that God had not given. So what they were doing is they were being carnal. They were operating under the norms and the assumptions of the society that they were part of according to Satan's kingdom. This is troubling. The values of Satan's kingdom were determining how the church valued the gifts God had given. Think about how ridiculous this is. It's like, be like using a, a feather, a feather made to fly, to dig a hole. 
or a horse's bit to pacify a baby. Feathers are good, shovels are good, pacifiers are good, bits are good. They were using words and songs given by Jesus, words and songs given to praise Jesus as tools to shame and reject people, using something holy to shame people, to play the honor-shame game that, we, that society plays. So they were assuming there is not enough honor to go around. There's not enough joy to go around. There's scarcity. We have to compete. Each one striving to be known and honored at the expense of others. Because there's, there's too many here. There's, there's too many. And, and if everyone's exercising their gift, mine is not going to be acknowledged. These are assumptions of the dark kingdom. Scarcity. Not enough honor. And so these assumptions of darkness were fully operational while the Christians were trying to use holy things. Gifts from heaven. So Paul sweeps this all away. He sweeps away the visible outward signs. And he gets underneath. All right, we've got this metaphor of the body. First he says, it, it's all valuable. But you guys are so slow. I'm going to go, I'm going to just set the, all that aside and talk about the heart of it for a moment. Demons can counterfeit all kinds of things. Right? They can, they can counterfeit, counterfeit the visible signs. They won't speak the truth. That's, that's why Paul privileges prophecy. Demons won't speak the truth. They, they can't. They refuse to do it. So if it's truth speaking, we know that's from the Lord. Um, and they can't counterfeit love. They won't speak the truth and they can't counterfeit love. So a corrective for the Corinthian Christians, Paul gives, is that he urges the use of gifts that depend on the gospel itself. But more importantly, he says, Here's the more excellent way. So yes, desire the gifts that are truth-giving. But there's just a more excellent way. Let me reframe the whole thing for you, he says. This is the way that comes from God along with each and every gift. So along with each and every gift, God gives this. This excellent way is the way that gives power to these gifts. It's the way that causes these gifts to work. It's the way of God himself. It's love. It's agape. Here's the more excellent way. Agape. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I'm the most generous person, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then to verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. 
As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. You can have all the knowledge. You can have all the understanding. You can have great faith. You can have courage. You can have compassion. You can have strength of will. You can have tremendous service. But what makes anything eternal and lasting is God himself in it, making it live making it last, making it meaningful. It's God in a thing. It's God in a thing. It's God in a person. It's God in an action that makes anything good and holy. Knowledge? Knowledge on its own? As I said a few weeks ago, the very demons fallen angels that stood in the throne room of heaven have more knowledge than we could ever hope to attain in our earthly lifetime. And they hate God. We must have God himself. He is what makes knowledge eternal. And you could see his character in the person and in the action. Love this is his character that makes those, those gifts and services live. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy. That is, is not concerned about scarcity, honor not being given properly. Love does not parade itself. What I had forgotten or didn't know does not parade itself and is not arrogant, does not behave rudely. It does not insist on its own way. This love, this from God, is not irritable or resentful. It does not, cannot rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears everything believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So, in the use of heavenly things, the use of these gifts from God, the Lord of heaven must be present. They're coming from his realm. He must be present in them when we use them. And he gives his character then to the service. Now this is just as important for us as it was for Corinth and those Corinthian Christians. Our culture is a consumer culture, right? We all know that. Consume, consume. So the kingdom of darkness has certain lessons for us. And they're all around us, being taught to us, to value according to what will bring us happiness, comfort, and self-esteem. Do these things or attain these things and you will become happier, more comfortable, and you'll feel better about yourself. That's how consumer culture works. So we bring into life together this, our fellowship, 
We bring it to our worship. We bring it to our social interactions. We just, we're bringing it all the time. We bring assumptions that practices and people, what we do and one another are valuable if they produce happiness for us, comfort for us, better self-esteem. And quickly. Need to do it quickly. We're taught not to give time, not to give energy, and not to give attention to what is slow and what's uncomfortable and what would reveal our failings and weaknesses. That, that hurts my self-esteem if I have to look at my weaknesses, my failings. We don't value those. We're taught not to value. So in short, we've been trained and are being trained to dislike everything of lasting and eternal value. That's how the kingdom of darkness is working in our culture. Dislike everything that's lasting and has eternal value. This means, just like everyone else, we are desperately in need of God's Holy Spirit to even awaken an appetite for those valuable things, eternal things. We need him to be constantly reshaping us, constantly um, reshaping what's gotten bent and keeps, keeps getting bent in our thoughts and our desires. Because if we do nothing, that will be our default. So what this means for life together is that as the Lord awakens holy appetites to know him, to love him, like when you become conscious, I, I want to know the Lord. It like hits you. I want, I want to know God more. I want to love him. Only then do we, do we begin to bless each other with heavenly things rather than self-focused versions, fleshly counterfeits. That is, if we are not pursuing God, then we're operating in a counterfeit way. Even as we have life together. We need love for him in order to live according to the society of heaven. In order to live like the kingdom of heaven. So when you love him, then you find yourself living among others in the power of the Spirit. This is what we call ministry. And each one of you has it. Ministry is not for the ministers. Ministry is not for the clergy. It's for the people of God, the priesthood of all believers. A minister is a servant. The word minister means servant. And each and every Christian has become a servant of God. If God has made you alive, you have become a servant of God. Again, we, we serve him because he's put love for him in us. He's put it into our hearts. So you are a minister because his spirit is in you. And his spirit draws us towards him. Now, it's at this point that we often get tripped up. And we're making a turn here. We often get tripped up because we think we need to know what our spiritual gifting is 
in order to serve effectively. We might tell ourselves, uh, I shouldn't try to teach someone, or I shouldn't try to lead a Bible study, or care for kids if that's not my spiritual gift. I need to know what, know what my spiritual gift is, and then only do that thing. That's part of what our passage is sweeping away. That's part of where we're... Paul does not want us to think in that way. The more excellent way is self-giving love. Wanting to know God is a distinct appetite. You know when you have it. You know, right? You know when the appetite to know God is, you're alert to it. Um, if you're craving a burger, you're aware, I want a burger, and you know where to get it. If you want God, go to him. When the appetite comes, go to him, then keep going to him. To the Bible, to praise, to prayer. This is how we go to him. We hear his word. We say of him what, he, what he's done. We pray. You can't use what you don't have. As I was saying to the kids, fathers can't give what they don't have, what they don't know is valuable. If your love for God has become small, this happens to us all. Our love for God becomes small. Becomes, it, it doesn't go away because God has put his spirit in us. But the, our love for him can become small, like a coal. It's got to be fanned a bit before it can give warmth and light. Before anyone can see by the light that is in you, it's got to be fanned. Go to him. Then keep going to him. And what you find, coming from pursuit of God, will be so valuable, that you, so precious to you, that you will want to share it. This is, I'm describing the more excellent way. We pursue God. And we find him. Ask, and it will be given to you. Anyone who asks for the Holy Spirit will be given. And this too, this is love from God. It's the desire. So uh, as you love him more, you want to share him. And so what you'll do is you'll begin to pull others in. You just, you will. You won't have to think about it. This is not a course that you plan out. You just pursue God. And as you enjoy him, as, you, as your love for him grows, you will pull others in. Uh, you won't have to think much about it because it will be his power doing it. The initiative is from the Spirit. And so as you begin to love others through knowing God more, you will be exercising your spiritual gifts. People will tell you. They'll thank you for how you blessed them. They'll comment that when you did this or that, they saw Jesus. They saw him more clearly. They, they wanted to serve. They will be drawn to him. They'll thank you for sharing God with them. The more excellent way, love God 
pursue God. And you will be pulling others into your service. As I said, you don't need to know your spiritual gifting to use it. It it can be helpful, but you don't need to. Pursuing God with intensity and purpose, you will be using it. Our problem, in conclusion, is we don't love God very much. We have little appetite for him. Are we allowed to say this? We don't love God very much. We are like people who suffer from a continuous appetite for sugar. We've we've gotten a taste for sugar. And the kingdom of darkness keeps up this steady bombardment of low-level sweeties that draw us away from the most valuable things, that draw us away from glory, that draw us away from heavenly, lasting, eternal things because sugar, these carnal sweeties, they're quick. They give us happiness short-term, quick comforts and self-esteem for a half hour. And so, it just happens. If you do nothing, it's happening. We're drawn away from the love of God. We're drawn to the carnal. We're drawn into the assumptions and norms of the kingdom of Satan. You must fan into flame the gift of God. That's why why it's commanded. Fan into flame the gift of God, which is his love. That's the gift. That's the principal gift of God, is his love. It's not saying fan into flame your musical ability. Fan into flame your clever brain. Those things come. Fan into flame the gift of God, which is love. It won't begin to glow. It won't begin to shine with wishing or imagining. I used to do this. I used to imagine what a great um, professor I could be. Or I'd imagine what a great pastor I could be. And I might even think about the steps to get there. But I was missing the essential thing. To be great. To do that which is eternal means loving God. So my call to you is think on how God has loved you. This is how we fan into flame. Think how God has loved you. Think on who he is. What he's like. And think on what sort of life you might have had. You might right now be living if he hadn't come to you. If he hadn't shown himself to you. If he hadn't redeemed your life. Think on him. Thank him. And keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep coming to the word, praise, and prayer. Because we grow for love in him by receiving the love he gives to us. We can't manufacture it. It's not in us. 
heavenly love. I've been saying this for three weeks now. Divine love comes from God and returns to him. We receive it. We can only grow as we receive more. We can only grow in love for God as he gives it and we receive it. So keep receiving and keep offering it back and watch your love grow bright and you will find you are ministering in the body of Christ. You are serving. Lord, we do not love you as we ought, as you deserve. We don't. You are glorious. You made every single thing. We can't possibly even hold in our minds your glory and goodness. But we know that we need more of you. We need, we need to receive your love so that we can do this excellent way. We can live well and we can live eternally. So please, merciful God, would you give what we don't often ask for? Would you move towards us at the smallest bit, at the mustard seed of faith? Please move towards us. In Jesus' name.